Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. I've got my own war to fight. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brian. Today's episode is... Don't fuck with this senator. Episode 4 on Metal Gear Rising Revengeance from 2013. We start with Sonny and we end with Armstrong. But first, our spoiler warning for this and every episode. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes. We know who Meryl marries. We know the fate of Master Kazuhiro Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. Fresh off the Jetstream Sam fight, Raiden arrives at Solus Space and Aeronautics, located outside of Denver. They primarily specialize in space flight, but one of their ships has been rerouted so that Raiden can make the trip to Pakistan in a matter of minutes. Raiden and Bladewolf's arrival interrupts a security guard reading manga, but within seconds, they're greeted by a familiar voice. Over here! <laughs> stranger. Hey, you're looking good. Aw, who's your little friend? Oh, it's a long story. Shake? <laughs> good boy. <laughs> Yay, it's Sunny Emmerich, once again voiced by Christina Puccelli. And yeah, she took the surname Emmerich when Otacon officially adopted her following the Guns of the Patriots incident. They tried to send her to school, but she was so far ahead of her classmates that Otacon just got her a gig in aeronautics, which it helps to know people, I guess. Nepotism hire. Wow. Despite some of our mixed feelings on MGS4, it was legitimately warming to see Sunny pop up here. If you recall, I technically have beaten MGS4 more than all the other titles, so I spent a lot of time with her. There's a lot of off-screen history with Raiden and Sunny, from him saving her from the Patriots and Olga's sacrifice. We saw how defensive Sunny was of Raiden in the last couple acts of MGS4 as well, so all that emotion pays off here. And she's sporting her mother's look, with her mom's iconic striped tank and military fatigue bottoms that bear the logo of philanthropy. Snake and Otacon's anti-metal gear NGO on it. And she has a blue flower in her hair, recalling her relationship with Naomi. It's appropriate. Sunny is the next generation carrying on the memes of the reason why she's still here today. For all the child soldiers and traffic children this game hits us with, having Sunny here at this point reminds us 
of the, sorry to say it, sunnier side of things, of youth, hey. of days long gone. Yeah, it's fun. I, it's 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 a smart way to. Uh, you kind. I think you did have to have a uh, MGS four character here, but it it it's still weird that Rose isn't in the game. But I think I think Sonny's the best choice because I don't I don't want to see Otacon. I don't want to see depressed Otacon. Like I'm good. I've seen that enough. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but Sonny's a character who didn't get as much to do in MGS four. I think had the best potential to be a character. Like if this had turned into like a series, I think could have been a recurring character. Yeah. And so I, I think that's, it's a smart choice. Like it, it makes the most sense. I, th- I feel like so. Yeah. Um, or I know like snake is possibly canonically dead at this point, but like they could have really ham fisted some people into yeah. this. Yeah. And I think like you say, like Sonny would actually be a very plausible and good choice to include in say a revenge too. part of the support staff. Yeah. Mm hmm. And, you know, you can have her involved with all sorts of stuff, given the character. So I think it's a good choice. It's a good inclusion. And it's it's something I feel like, you know, if they made a game now in 2022, they'd absolutely put Otacon and Snake in it because everything's about remembering some guys these days. I, I'm having fun imagining Snake trying to fight like Sam and just dying instantly. He's he's trying to switch the uh, controller port and it's not doing anything. He's just still getting sliced up in every encounter. But yeah, no, uh, I think it works. I think it's a really good choice. Um, and I think Sonny specifically is very tied to Raiden's history more so than Snake or anyone yeah. else. So yeah, she's also a good choice. I do think you're completely right that it is weird that Rose is not in here at all, especially because it doesn't seem like they're necessarily on bad terms or anything. No. But uh, maybe it's like a voice actor thing or maybe they have content that they got cut. I didn't see any in any of my research, but I can't say that I did like super exhaustive research into in terms of where rose was for all this yeah i don't think there's any cut content yeah <laughs> the only content is you cutting things well I, I feel like if there was cut content then they would have put it in the dlc and the dlc would have been longer it wouldn't have been like 45 minutes <laughs> mm-hmm. sunny time is short though the clock is ticking and raiden needs to get to pakistan he'll be flying the mach 23 rlv shuttle sunny designed herself she kids that it's a no smoking flight something she said to Snake quite a bit in Metal Gear Solid 4. And with that, we're off to Pakistan and Chapter R07, Assassination Attempt. And then they arrive at Shabazabad Air Base, specifically to stop Operation Tecumseh. Tecumseh is a cheeky name. It comes from a Shawnee chief who resisted the settler colonialist expansion of the United States in the late 18th and early 19th century. He helped unite disparate tribes in an attempt to unmanifest destiny, and though he fell in the War of 1812, his meme as a folklore hero would endure. There's a specific, likely false, legend that exists too, Tecumseh's curse. Supposedly when defeated at the Battle of Tippecanoe, Tecumseh's younger brother, Tenskawada, set a curse on U.S. presidents that those elected on 20-year intervals would die before leaving office, i.e. presidents elected in 1840, 1860, 1880, etc. And that part actually held true for a century. Uh, William Henry Harrison, Abraham Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, Harding, FDR, and Kennedy would all die before leaving office. Sadly, it stopped there as 1980 was when Reagan took office and 2000 George W. Bush. Unfortunately, John Hinckley's aim was off. (laughs) Of course, that curse is an urban legend, a meme source more to Ripley's Believe It or Not and Parade Magazine than any historical text, 
but that actually plays into this game's themes, which are about to get meme-heavy here in a second. Armstrong's plan is to have President Hamilton assassinated. The actual culprits are World Marshal and Armstrong himself, but the blame will go to jihadists, leading to a renewed war on terror and a line of cocaine for the war economy. Raiden arrives in Pakistan with about 30 minutes to spare, and a couple maps separate the player from Endgame. World Marshal had already overrun and taken the base from the U.S. military at this point. I forgot that the president's name is Hamilton in this, and I'm imagining, like, I'm going to kill President Hamilton. And Lin-Manuel Miranda going like, no! (laughs) (sighs) Throwing himself in front of Armstrong, ridding us of his meme forever, thankfully. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Before we get into the heavier stuff near the end of this chapter, we can talk about the introductory airbass, uh, airbass, airbass, airbase maps that you have to fight through. Um, I love playing the airbass uh, while my friend <laughs> plays the air guitar. So um, at first, you're fighting a couple soldiers outside the walls of this camper base, um, and then heavier fortified troops and mastiffs. Once you break through the gates, guys with hammers, and there's also. Uh, gun-armed security cameras that are quite annoying and usually the first thing I beeline to to destroy um, before taking out the troops. Yep. Most of these troops are desperado, so it looks like that World Marshal Armstrong's like top-level PMC is going to pin the blame for this on desperado, kind of a lower PMC in the chain. It's all kind of very similar to how Liquid's Outer Haven PMC had all the other PMCs like Mantis and uh, yeah. Werewolf operating underneath it. Yep. Right in here is trying to work his way to the comms tower to reroute Air Force One. Again, this game was conceived in parallel with Peace Walker, whose last mission also includes you fighting your way to a comms tower on a U.S. base, that time in Nicaragua. Yeah, I like the, I like the, um, it feels kind of like how V ends up being. I like that you start outside the base and you have to like work your way into it. I like that. I like the, uh, kind of the shifting, because until, yeah, because V is not out yet. Is this like the first desert area in any Metal Gear Solid game? Middle East in like MGS4, but that's like urban. Yeah, and then kind of the, the mountains in MGS3, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And that's not supposed to be desert. It's just where you can use your like desert camo just because yeah. it's rocky and stuff. It's a setting that you would, the game doesn't go to as often, which is surprising given how, yeah, I guess, important Middle East and Middle Eastern politics are to the series. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Afghanistan will be really when we get our first like yeah. Metal Gear Solid desert stuff. It's a nice teaser for it. It's a nice little, like it wets your mouth for it, I guess. Yeah, I think just one thing broadly I would say about Revengeance that I didn't expect is that it really does fit nice and snugly into the Metal Gear Solid like storytelling and canon and just like... I can see how it was kind of conceived next to Peace Walker. And then I can see little things in here that, oh, maybe Kojima thought that's kind of neat. We can work something like that into V. I think it fits a little bit from the outside looking in. It's a little bit like, oh, this is a spinoff. It's not officially like a Konami, you know, kind of Metal Gear. It's not a stealth game. So you almost kind of want to lump it with like the Metal Gear acids and stuff that Uh you might not think. But I actually think this works better inside the existence of the Solid series than not or thinking of it as like a spin-off or like outside of the main canon. It is a real it's a real entry. Yeah, it's not like a card game or some like weird like stripped down version of another game that already exists. Yeah. Blade Wolf as usual had gone to scout ahead, but after working through the main hangar and courtyard, Raiden finds him injured in the middle of an open lot. Of course, that's a signal that this is a big boss arena. Big boss. <laughs> Out from the pavement rises Metal Gear Excelsis 
piloted by Senator Armstrong himself. As it turns out, Armstrong didn't even need to assassinate the president to complete his plan. In fact, Air Force One was on its way back home as they speak. The simple fact that an American base was attacked and that it appears to have been rebels in Pakistan is enough to ignite a lust for revengeance in the U.S. military and media. Boris patches right in into the mainstream and social medias, showing wall-to-wall coverage of a quote-unquote terrorist attack, one we know to be a false flag, and the various insane wackos on social media demanding blood from Pakistan. That would never happen. <laughs> never. This is Armstrong's moment to shine, so I'm going to drop a big chunk of his villain monologue here. That's just the spark, son. The excuse we've been waiting for. America's wanted this war for years. The Patriots, they knew war was good for the economy. Four years later, their legacy lingers on. The memes. They left us their great isms. Nationalism. Unilateralism. Materialism. Welcome maxims for those with no faith, without guiding principles of their own. Give yourself up to the whole. No need to better yourself. You're American. You're number one. Then the only value left is dollar value. The economy. So we'll do whatever it takes to keep it humming along. Even war. Especially war. Bullshit. The Patriots planted the seed. We don't need them around to filter and foster their memes any longer. We're spreading them just fine ourselves. Every American man, woman, and child. We're all sons of the Patriots now! Armstrong is basically American exceptionalism in a single character. While the MGS series has specifically targeted the American hegemon in every iteration, never has it been so finely wrapped up in just a single person. Armstrong is basically wrapped in the flag and all the blood and suffering that comes with it. We're all sons of the Patriots line really rings in his little speech. We'll get into Armstrong here in a minute, but before that, Raiden has a Metal Gear to take down, which we'll talk about now. So Metal Gear Excelsis, like all the other boss battles, comes with its very own theme song, this one called Collective Consciousness. Excelsis means elevated, lofty, or high. The phrase Gloria in Excelsis Deo means glory to God on high, which I think fits with the strong American themes in this game. It has an insect-like design, six legs, two pincers, and two arms, and it's capable of tunneling. It has a circular command shell that is very similar to what was on Peace Walker and which we'll see on Sahelanthropus, and Armstrong pilots the Metal Gear from inside that. It also gives a ray-like screech when it opens its mouth, 
And it's not outfitted with a nuke by default, which is what would technically make it not a Metal Gear, but it seems it would be very easy to add a nuke to this design. Boris on the comms talks about how Metal Gear is no longer a specific technical definition, but a meme, or more succinctly, a brand, which very much fits in line with what this game is. That said, it was designed by AT Corp, the successor to Arms Tech, which created Rex, and were later behind the Gecko and other designs of MGS4. It was designed in response specifically to Cyborg Warfare, an anti-cyborg weapon just like Ray was an anti-Metal Gear weapon, something specifically to surpass the weapons of the times. Getting into the battle itself, it starts out attacking with its big pincer slashes and swipes, which can be parried, though you'll still take some damage, or somewhat avoidable at the far edges of the map. And then it does a double pincer slam, which opens itself up for a combo afterwards as the pincers lay on the ground. After a certain amount of damage, one of its base legs will move onto the playable map to prepare to squash you. You can basically avoid this just by running around and doing ninja attacks, and then eventually you'll have the chance to run up the leg and blade mode and slice it to pieces. After two rounds of taking down the legs, it will start attacking with the giant blade, which Raiden will eventually cut off himself and then use it to cut down Metal Gear Excelsis. It's perfectly in fitting with this game that, that there's a point where you cut off a giant 900 foot long sword and use it to cut apart a giant robot. And you're just like, yeah, it was part of the boss fight. It was okay, I guess. It was all right. Yeah. I mean, this game is far more anime than all the other Metal Gear Solids, which are also anime in their own way. So it felt very appropriate, especially when you're like body slamming Ray and like the first. <laughs> yeah. Is it more anime than the Twin Snakes? Okay, maybe not. Uh, yeah. It could be close. It could be close. But um, yeah, I, I always love the only real thought I have. With it, it's not nothing wrong with it. It's a nice big mech fight. Like you need to have one, a real one. But the only thing I really think about this fight is that the first time I saw the name of the Metal Gear, I went Excelsior and then started <laughs> the doing a Stanley impression <laughs> for like th- the first half of the fight. But yeah, I, I don't think I've ever lost to it. It's not difficult, really. It's more just like riding, slicing stuff, porn, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's the probably the most pattern heavy of any of the boss fights. Yeah. Like it has a very strong pattern, and unlike you know, like Sam, like it doesn't have any like super quick attacks. So like you know that oh, it's laying yeah. its pincer down on the yeah. ground, so yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. do the side swipe. It's raising both up, so it's going to do the overhead smash. Oh, the legs. Like nothing here is like really going to take you by surprise, or you're not going to have time to react to. But, you know, it's good. I actually didn't know there was a Metal Gear fight in this outside of the Ray fights in the opening because that's all I had heard about. So I was at least pleasantly surprised yeah. to have uh, one of them because, you know, it's just something I kind of expect. But I never really think of, maybe with the exception of Sahelanthropus, as the big Metal Gear fight as usually the best fight in the game. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, this one isn't really that either. Um, but, you know, it's fine. Um, and I know, like, the big fight that we're all excited about is coming. Um, so it, it's all right. It's all right. After the battle, from the ruins of Excelsis emerges Armstrong. And before we get into the game's ending, we should dive into the character now.
Senator Stephen Armstrong, voiced by Alastair Duncan. And his theme song is It Has to Be This Way, which of all the theme songs so far has the most like Metal Gear sounding motifs into it, like that kind of that like electronic, industrial, bass driven, metallic sounds. Um, It's not as like just straight up metally or thrashy as some of the other boss uh, music has been. Getting into the man, uh, to Armstrong's design, I mean, really the only thing I could say is man big. Um, he's just a big man. He's uh, in a suit and tie and glasses for most of the game. And even when you fight him here, um, he basically starts by rolling up his sleeves and taking off his coat. Um, and then later he'll take off his shirt and we'll get into what that all reveals. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think one of the fun things is that his design is so kind of innocuous compared to how Metal Gear characters are often designed. Well, you know, he could have gone to pro if he hadn't joined the Navy. Probably at some cushy Ivy League school. Oh, yeah. Or or at least a Big 12 school because he was a Texas born and raised and a quarterback at the University of Texas. He's not a quarterback. Fuck off, game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not what his body build is, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm sure that when they were designing the character, they were like, what's a football uh, the quarterback? Right. Yeah. <laughs> They just pick the first position they can name, and that's that. And that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. If they did it because he's just white, you know, at least that's somewhat understandable. <laughs> but instead of going professional, he joined the Navy, um, though he never actually saw any service time. There's kind of a gap in his general timeline, but we know in 2016, he was in, he infused his body with nanomachines. In fact, more than even Vamp had, and Vamp probably had the most prior to this because that's what helped keep him immortal. As a state senator in Colorado, he privatized the police force and slashed budgets, you know, kind of typical right-wing stuff, which allowed him to get uh, world marshal cyborgs to be the Denver Police Department, which we saw a little bit in the third uh, chapter of this game. He's very much an American exceptionalist. Um, his ties to world marshal, which, you know, all PMCs kind of had a negative reputation following the guns with the Patriots. It really did not hurt his candidacy for uh, U.S. Senate um, and the presidential candidacy that he's currently running now. Um, you can clearly tell there's a lot of Tea Party and libertarian politic influences, um, in addition to all the generic, you know, not so right wing stuff that you'd expect. Um, he was also the one who recruited Sam to Desperado, although that was always an uneasy relationship. And that's going to be something that plays into a later part of our encounter with Armstrong, which we'll get to in a minute. I mean, it's kind of hard. I think anything we have to say about him is tying it with like his backstory. Cause at this point it is almost like a joke. Like you're like, this guy's the boss. Like what's going on here? Cause you don't know anything about him really. You just know he was like, the game sort of portrays him as well. He's like the, not the money behind Maverick, but sort of like there, he's just the guy who brings political clout to it. He has no like other role. Mm-hmm. They really, until this point, until you see that it's him in the Metal Gear, that they still kind of go with the idea that Sundowner is like the leader. Mm-hmm. He's not. We saw what uh, Armstrong did, like that Guadalajara. So that's R02. Yeah. And then he's like not at all in the Denver stuff, like no. not even talked about, not even mentioned. I mean, he's probably mentioned, but it's like not a major focus. So, yeah, I mean, Sundowner kind of feels like he was the big bad in a way, which is actually like kind of an interesting change because. Every other Metal Gear Solid Big Bad is almost intimately tied to the protagonist. Yeah. Twin brother, the war criminal father, the boss, you know. Other twin brother. (laughs) 
<laughs> now living in the body of um, your greatest enemy. It's just there's all sorts of like pathos usually associated. So it's yeah. kind of nice that this one is just something different because um, it's not like Raiden can have another world war criminal father or something. You know, or, you know, uh, the main boss of uh, Peace Walker, the Central Intelligence Agency. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Actually, in that way, it's kind of a if Peace Walker is kind of like the intelligence apparatus is the bad guy. This is kind of like the military industrial yeah, complex yeah. is the bad guy kind of thing. So the war in Iraq is the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, no, the war on terror, and that's exactly what they're starting. So, um, I do think he specifically Armstrong works really well in that context. Then, because if you're really targeting the American war machine, you kind of need someone who's a part of it. And I think that starts with the politicians before you yes. even get into the PMCs and the whatever, the black waters of the world. You need to start by singling out the guys who sent people everywhere to die and kill, more or less. So uh, we transition into a face-off atop Metal Gear now, not unlike the Metal Gear Solid 1 encounter with Solid and Liquid Snake. Armstrong ditches the suit and Ty now to reveal a totally jacked body boosted by nanos. He did play ball at University of Texas, after all. He's not one of those quote-unquote beltway pansies, as he says it. This first encounter with Armstrong, Raiden pretty much just gets waxed. You don't get to do much damage, Armstrong does a ton of damage, and you don't have a ton of space atop Excelsis to avoid attacks. Armstrong even breaks Raiden's blade in the process. Jack, for his part, still needles Armstrong about being just another politician who's looking to get rich and get votes and feed the nominal amount of bodies required into the American blood machine. But Armstrong is way more unhinged than all that, which, well, we'll let him talk. This one is going to be our longest sound clip ever, maybe. <laughs> all right, the truth then. You're right about one thing. I do need capital and votes. Want to know why? I have a dream. What? That one day, every person in this nation will control their own destiny. A land of the truly free, dammit. A nation of action, not words, ruled by strength, not committee. Where the law changes to suit the individual, not the other way around. Where power and justice are back where they belong. In the hands of the people! Where every man is free to think, to act for himself! Fuck all these lunatic lawyers and chicken shit bureaucrats! Fuck this 24 7 internet spew of trivia and celebrity bullshit! <laughs> Fuck American pride! Fuck the media! Fuck all of it! America's diseased, rotten to the core. There's no saving it. We need to pull it out by the roots. <coughs> Wipe the slate clean. Burn it down! <coughs> and from the ashes, a new America will be born! Evolved, but unchanged! 
The weak will be purged, and the strongest will thrive. Free to live as they see fit. They'll make America great again! Yeah, you heard it, Make America Great Again there from 2013. Though Trump floated that slogan around 2011, even if it was several years before it would actually become a mainstream slogan. I just want to say real quick that American Blood Machine is my favorite Butthole Servers album. (laughs) Armstrong is still pounding away at Raiden, though, and this leads into the second part of the encounter, where Armstrong will continue to wipe you. He'll work Jack down to 0.1% health before the next cutscene, where Raiden tries to punch Armstrong in the gut, but nothing happens. Armstrong goes fully topless now, revealing a scarred chest that solidifies into a black metal when attacked. Nanomachine, son. Armstrong beats Raiden into the ground, and it looks like this is the end of the line for Jack. But Sam's Murasama blade, still with Wolf, unlocks, and a few seconds later, Wolf rises from the ashes for his big moment, including a message from Sam. Begin playback. <laughs> Two years I've been working towards this. And on the last day, Blondie has me doubting the whole thing. We'll leave it up to fate then, shall we, Wolfie? A duel to the death. May the best man win. Sam. I cut him down, and that's that. Back to a regularly scheduled international incident. But if he beats me, if I die here, the lock on my blade will disable after a couple hours. What happens after that is up to you, Wolfie. <laughs> Even dead, that guy's a pain in my ass. So... You think that little sword can save your master? (laughs) Well, go ahead then. But make no mistake, Fido. When I'm finished with him, you're next. I was not designed to fear termination. Huh? However, Directive 01 is to ensure all data acquired is preserved and passed along. To expire here would violate that directive. That's a good boy. However, Raiden came to my aid. I have learned from him. When Samuel fell, data analysis was inconclusive. But that has changed. I have established new parameters now, created my own directives. You little fuck. Oh, that's all so good, giving me some Grey Fox vibes near the end of Shadow Moses. Sam calling Raiden Blondie also makes me think of Clint Eastwood's character in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which you can kind of square Raiden, Armstrong, and Sam as a similar triumvirate. Raiden, re-energized, is ready for our last and final showdown with the Senator. Yeah, I love that, that Armstrong has 200% health, by the way. That's such a simple way to show like that a boss is super tough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that you do like literally percentage points of damage when you hit him at the first part. Like it's it's great. It's a it's a again, it's a platinum game style, like using your UI and, and like the basic mechanics of the game as like storytelling devices, which they would do to almost inhumanly powerful effect 
in Nier Automata. So I love it. It's a little like this game, I think, you know, has some similar like mechanics or like just like eating paste to heal your robot <laughs> body, stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like a uh, similar kind of like the, the UI is not that different. You could tell the same people designed those UIs just looking at them. So I like that. I'm, you know, I'm a big, I'm a huge near guy. So like just getting any kind of taste of that stuff is fun. And I'm just a big fan of that kind of storytelling in games anyway. It's, it's, it's a thing, uh, famously, uh, Final Fantasy Crisis Core did. Where mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm. God, this is going to be over long winded, but there's a, uh, like the, 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 I guess overdrive, whatever you would call it in that game, like the limit breaks in that game, like the special attacks are like, you get them from meeting different characters. And so when you do it, it's like a slot machine thing and you have to line up three characters and you get the same one, you get, you do their powerful attack. And at the end of the game, when Zach is being slowly killed and whittled down by, by a huge army, those like break, like he loses his memories of people as they break. And at the end of it, it's literally just Aerith, just one character going back and forth. And he just keeps doing special attacks until he, it's great. It's a great way to use like your mechanic of like this is how the game works to tell a story. You know, in that game, it's your hero is breaking down slowly after a long fight and, and holding on to the most important person in his life. But this one, it's just like the man. The man is tough. The, this guy is strong. You're not. You suck, right? It's great. I because it, it, this game is the power fantasy game. Like not even just in Metal Gear context, like in all of video gaming. So it's great to have a little bit where you just get your ass kicked by. It, it really makes you feel like, how am I going to beat this guy? It doesn't seem possible the first time through, which is great. Especially because uh, it's, it's a tough fight. It's not easy. Yeah, no, this was uh, this was a tough one. And uh, especially with um, the first couple segments where you're supposed to get beat. Yeah. Um, I legitimately had to just like look up online. Like, am I just completely missing like some kind of gimmick here? It's like, oh, no, he's going to whittle you down to point one. Like, there's no even point to really worry about it. But that that's a good way to set it up instead of just doing a straight cutscene where when they he throw the when he out. throws stuff at you, I actually had a lot of trouble lining up the cuts the first few times until I realized you could just run away. Mm-hmm. If, if if you don't want to do that, you could just leave. You don't get the healing from it is the problem, but it's still yeah, it's 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 a good fight. Yeah, and it's the exact right amount of difficulty for the final boss of this yeah. game. I feel like is it the hardest fight? I would say so. That or monsoon. This or monsoon. Yeah, I think so. Or Sam. Sam's not. Sam can be yeah. difficult if you don't get the rhythm of it. So those three. Yeah, Monsoon's like the one that forces you to learn like the mechanic. And if you don't, you're fucked. Because I would say the Metal Gear fights, Sundowner, Mistral, and Wolf are all like kind of too easy. Especially Sundowner. I think yeah. that could have been a yeah. harder fight yeah. because he's kind of like the big leader, it seems, of the Winds of Destruction. So I beat the shit out of him the first time through. Yeah, no, I mean, but yeah, I think Armstrong, like it took me like um, I had to beat this like in the last day before it went off of uh, the PlayStation Now uh, service as they're kind of rebranding and Metal Gear games are disappearing from existence. Um, But I had to literally, I spent like, I think two to three hours, um, but maybe not that much, but like I had to do several attempts before I could actually beat him down. Yeah. But you know, and that's, you know what I'd expect. I don't expect to walk into a final game or a final boss, unless it's like an RPG where I tend to over level by the end. I usually want that final boss encounter to be one of the hardest of the game. In the end, Raiden will impale Armstrong on his sword and eventually get to blade mode, his cold dead heart to wrap up the battle. Raiden literally squeezes and crushes Armstrong's heart during the next clip we're going to play, which are Armstrong's final words naming Raiden his successor. You've guaranteed the status quo will go on for a while longer at least. 
War will continue as an institution, as an industry. Men will fight for reasons they don't understand. Causes they don't believe in. But at least I'll leave a worthy successor. You, Jack. You carve your own path. Use whatever methods you see fit. <coughs> you don't let legal bullshit get in the way. And if it costs a few lives, so be it. This takes us into the game's epilogue. Turns out, Raiden and Maverick didn't really reverse course on anything. Current President Hamilton would be talking with Pakistan about renewing the war on terror, which is what Armstrong wanted, though Armstrong's presidential bid is literally DOA. Raiden 2 is an outlaw after the events of this game, though no one seems bothered by that at all. Doctor, meanwhile, establishes the first cyborg firm, which has taken in all the kids Desperado was farming and offers them a chance at a real civilian life. We also get a coda with Sonny and George, the latter now working for the former, thanks to a new cybernetic arm. Wolf is now with Sonny, too. As for Raiden, he is leaving Maverick to fight his quote-unquote own wars. We last see him about to cut up some soldiers in an alley, and... That's roll credit, folks. And I got to say, I was shocked that there was a Metal Gear game with an epilogue this short. <laughs> yep. Uh, so any thoughts on the general ending? I mean, it's, all, it's set up for a sequel that, that seemed well, almost mm-hmm. certainly never get, which is unfortunate. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think um, I like that they put in the bit with the child soldiers. Like, it's good to wrap up that. And I like the sunny stuff. George... I think the the Blade Wolf DLC is framed that he's hanging out with Sonny and George, remembering when he went rogue. Oh. And so I think George shows up in that. I don't remember for sure, but yeah, that's pretty much it. They do like the, the, the very small bit of DLC storytelling for for Blade Wolf and for Sam, really just showing how they were kind of in there. Yeah, that's it. Like, there's there's not even I don't even know if it's even worth talking about those any more than they are because they're they're literally just reusing old maps. Doing a couple of fights. There's a new boss in the Blade Wolf one who is, you kill in like 90 seconds. You know nothing about him. And then, yeah, then you have an Armstrong fight with, with Sam. So that's it for the DLC, pretty much. Um, yeah, reusing some of the, the uh, World Marshal HQ maps, which I think are good. Yeah, that's smart. But yeah, it's not. It's There's nothing to write home about with either of those. And then Raiden is just sort of... I, I like his goof. I like his dumb-looking uh, new face. I like his, his mm-hmm. face. He looks... He looks stupid which is good Ryan should always be kind of stupid like he is yeah. he is a himbo he's the himbo of the Metal Gear mm-hmm. series where he's like 
it, that's one thing I like about this game. It's easier. For, it, it's more believable for me that Raiden keeps getting like roped into weird situations and stuck and having to fight his way out than Snake because Snake is supposed to be smart. Yes, yes, yes. I think that makes. I think that works for me, especially Big Boss. Big Boss is supposed to be super smart. Yeah, I mean, if he's organizing an entire kind of revolution against the times, you, he can't just be a complete dumbass. Or Raiden is just like, oh shit, I hate being stupid. I don't want to call it like an Avengers ending because, you know, it has nothing to do with it, but it's just like it's one of those epilogues where it's just like we got to check in with everyone, see what they're doing, but none of it's really... Tune in next time. Yeah, this is where they're going to be the next time we see these characters. This will kind of be the status quo um, so that they could start with the sequels. So, um, yeah, I mean, no, no complaints about that ending. It's just I, I was like, okay, the game's over. I expect to sit here for 40 minutes and get a whole bunch of, like, lore dump, maybe a couple more twists. Um but no, it's pretty straightforward. Just check in with everyone. Everyone kind of has a happy ending. Raiden's kind of unleashed and on his own now. And um, the final you know, shots of him are kind of in a suit and then him being accosted by soldiers and he busts out his sword and you know, you just assume he slices him up and then goes on his next adventure. Yeah. Wherever that is, we'll just have to imagine it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with that, we've wrapped the story on Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. We have a couple more episodes on this game to go, including our normal wrap-up episode, and then it's on to Metal Gear Solid B. That's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is podcastsoundsfrontiers at gmail.com and at podsoundsfront on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sounds Frontiers at patreon.com slash manuclearbomb, which, manuclearbomb, hey, that's me, I've been Manu. You can find me covering The Lord of the Rings over at My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast. I'm sorry, I was still Brian. My foot hurts. But thankfully, America is diseased, rotten to the core. Shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. DJ Empirical on Twitter. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember, the war still rages within. Looking down on the burgeoning sea The skyscrapers rise Even men with the greatest intentions
I just want to say real quick that American Blood Machine is my favorite Butthole Surfers album. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't even know that was the name of their album. No, it's um, not. It just sounds uh, like an album they would, they, they would make. <laughs> uh, Secret album. <laughs>